Well, it's good to see you all tonight. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Tonight we're going to finish John 14. We were in it last week. It's, we're getting close to the end, which, I mean, not in terms of chapter, but like I've said, we're, we're near the end in terms of what Jesus has left to do here. And there is grief in that, like we, like the disciples as we sit in this moment, we have grief, we, we grieve for Jesus. And, I, and my mom every week is like, I just feel so bad for Jesus. She says that to me almost every week, and I, I get that. I understand that, because what he lived was a life of suffering. <coughs> but, he's going to say something tonight that I hope will be an encouragement to you, Mom. So when we get there, I'll let you know. <laughs> I think you'll figure it out. <laughs> but remember where we were. Where we were was Jesus is talking to his disciples. His last moments. Judas has already left. It is night. And it is night both in reality, but it's also metaphoric, right? Satan is at work. Satan is at work. It is night, theologically. Judas has left, and he's about to do his terrible work. He says he's been, actually, Satan has entered into him, is what it says about Judas Iscariot. So Judas goes out to do what he has to do. And Jesus is left with his true disciples. And he's told Peter, you're going to deny me, Peter. And they're all distraught. And Jesus says at the beginning of 14, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is comforting them. He is preparing them for what is about to happen because he knows that their grief will be immense. And he ended last week by saying, that when you pray in my name, I will do what you ask. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's talking about the love of the Christian being something in which they conform themselves to Jesus. And then he answers their prayers. It's a beautiful promise. Of course, we can't ask anything and expect it to be answered. We are in line with the will and character of Jesus when we ask in his name, right? The pagan can't ask whatever they want in Jesus' name and expect, like magic, it will happen. Hmm. Anyway, that's where we left off. And Jesus is now going to turn to the future as we start. We're starting in John 14, verse 16. The first of what is known in scholarly circles as uh, the paraclete sayings, the paraclete. You may have heard that term before. It's a notoriously hard to translate term. Um, but it, it's translated various ways. In the translation I'll read, I'll read it to you. It says, Jesus says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. That word helper has been translated many ways throughout church history. It's been translated advocate, intercessor, comforter, counselor, helper here. I think if we read the entire Gospel of John, though, I think the best translation, so I, I felt like I had to say it, my translation says helper. I think the best translation is advocate. You can see I, I named this week the advocate. And the reason is this term actually has legal overtones. 
as legal overtones. It's, it's courtroom language. And, we, and it's important as we read the Gospel of John because what has been going on in the Gospel of John? Well, there's been witnesses. Remember, Jesus keeps bringing up the idea of witnesses. Like, God is my witness. John the Baptist has witnessed to me. It's all about this judicial format. And so when Jesus says that the advocate is coming, he's making a language of judgment and, and comfort, but in a legal sense, right? This person is interceding for you. They're fighting on your behalf. And it's important because, of course, when we get to John 16, what's one of the major things that the Spirit does? It says he convicts the world. That's legal language. The Spirit is actually doing a dual role. He is defending believers, and he is prosecuting unbelievers. So when the Spirit is the advocate, the paraclete, it's saying that he is doing a specific work. And in fact, it's the same work Jesus has been doing. Remember what happened in John 9 and 10 with the story of the blind man. Remember the blind man went before the synagogue, which by the way is interesting. Synagogues were used for communal judicial hearings. That is where judicial decisions were made for the community, was in the synagogue. And in fact, they make a judicial decision on the blind man, don't they? They say he should be excommunicated. We have to get him out of here because he, he doesn't believe the right way. And if he's believing in this Jesus, this fake Messiah, that's what the Jews are saying. And what does Jesus do? He defends the blind man, and he, he convicts, he prosecutes the religious leaders. And he says, what? You're false leaders. You are leading, you are leading uh, my people astray, in essence. He says, I'm the good shepherd. Remember that discussion? It comes up in the context of the blind man being put out of the synagogue. The good shepherd is good to his people. You are false shepherds who are belittling and using them for your own advantage. Mm. Jesus is judging them. So, Jesus has fulfilled these same roles. And what's important about Jesus fulfilling the same roles? The Spirit comes like Jesus. That's important. The Spirit is not disconnected from Jesus. The Spirit is intimately connected with Jesus. In fact, He's going to do the things that Jesus did while He was on earth. In Jesus' stead. Because Jesus, where is He going? Back to the Father, is what He says. He's going back to the Father. So, Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate. And this advocate is going to stay with you forever. That's the promise of the Spirit. If you believe and the Spirit comes into you, He's with you forever, for eternity. He will follow us. In fact, He will draw us into the presence of God and into new creation. And that is the Spirit of Truth. And the world cannot receive the spirit of truth. Why? One, it doesn't see him. So it, they, they only believe what they can see, the world, right? They only believe what they can see. But also they don't know him. They have no intimacy with the spirit. Remember, knowledge is the language of intimacy. In fact, it's the word used for, for sexual relations, right, in, in the Old Testament. Adam knew his wife Eve. Is about intimacy. Knowledge is the language of intimacy. They cannot be intimate with the Spirit. 
because they do not have any connection to him. In fact, our connection as believers is only because of Jesus. It says, it does not see him or know him, but you do know him. He's talking to the disciples. How do they know him? How do they know this spirit of truth? Well, because one, he abides with you. How does he abide? Well, I think the preeminent way when he's abiding with them right now is in Jesus. The Spirit has abided with the disciples because Jesus has walked with them. And what does John 3 say? That Jesus is the Spirit bearer without measure. He's the perfect Spirit bearer. He's the perfect human. He bears the Spirit perfectly. And so he offers it to all his disciples. He offers him to all his disciples. Excuse me. So he abides with you, and what's the future? He will be in you. He's not in them yet, because Jesus has not yet been glorified. With Jesus not being glorified, the Spirit is not in the believers yet. But Jesus says, one day he will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And the question is, which coming? See, scholars, this, this whole discourse is very hard for scholars because there's so many things it could be referring to. And so the question of here, of, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, which coming is he talking about? Is he talking about resurrection? Is he talking about the way he comes to us in, in the form of the Spirit? Is he talking about the way he will come with the second coming? It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. But my... My opinion is that he's talking about coming in the person of the Spirit. Mainly because that's what he's just been talking about. But also, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. If Jesus is talking about the resurrection, he does then leave. Doesn't he? He's, once he's resurrected, he goes up to heaven to be with his Father so that means it can't just be the resurrection. It has to include what the Spirit is doing. Jesus doesn't leave us as orphans because he comes to us through the Spirit. But he's also obviously he's tying resurrection with the coming of the Spirit. And we know that from the Gospel of John because in John 20, when Jesus is resurrected, in the Gospel of John, as opposed to, say, Luke-Acts, what happens in John 20? Jesus is resurrected, and it says he breathes the Spirit on them and says, receive the Spirit. So that resurrection and coming of the Spirit is tied together in the Gospel of John. He's saying, not only will I not leave you as orphans because the Spirit's going to come in and indwell you, but also because I live, resurrection language, you will live. The same way that I live, the life that I live, you will live in the same fashion. That resurrection life is yours if you believe in me. After a little while, he says, the world is no longer going to see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Right? Jesus is going away, and we know he's going into heaven, and that will happen later on in the... Uh, well, it's actually in Acts. We don't see it in John. But he will go up to be with his Father. And he says, but you're still going to see me. How do we see Jesus? 
Again, it's through the Spirit. This whole block of teaching is all about what Jesus is doing with the coming of the Spirit, about what's going to happen in the New Covenant when it comes to, to be, when the New Covenant is inaugurated. He says, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. The coming of the Spirit is going to bring all those things together. That the Father is in Christ, that Christ is in the Father, that Christ is in us and we are in Him. The beautiful unity of the new covenant. That all of these people are mutually indwelled. Just like we are in Christ and have access to the, to the Father, Christ dwells in us through the Spirit. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. I will reveal myself to him. That's what Jesus is saying. Is Listen, if you are the type of person who has aligned yourself with me, and what Jesus is saying specifically is the type of person who loves me and keeps my commandments. He uses those interchangeably. That should, should rattle some of us, I think. Because to love Jesus is to keep His commandments, and to mm -hmm. keep His commandments is to love Him. That's what John says. There is uh, no works-based salvation. We all know that. But there is no doubt that works are a part of working out your salvation. They're a part of living out your salvation. We have to do them. Because Jesus knows that to love Him is to follow His commands. That's what mm -hmm. Jesus says. You cannot have Jesus be Savior without Him being Lord. We have to remember that. But Jesus says, I'm going to reveal myself to those who love me, those who keep my commands. I'm going to come to them and, and reveal. And guess what? They're going to be loved by my Father. What a beautiful promise. Not only will we, be loved, will we be loved by the Father if we love Jesus, but also Jesus is going to show himself to us. So Judas, not Iscariot, this is another Judas in the Twelve, he said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? How, how does that make any sense? How can you show yourself to us and not to the world? Where is Judas coming from? Well, I think a big part of where he's coming from is the Jews' messianic expectation. How can Jesus reveal himself as the Messiah without doing it to the whole world? He's, he's going to conquer the world. He is going to make every knee bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. How is that possible that you could just reveal yourself to us and not do the thing we think Messiah is going to do. Kick out the Romans, take back our land, all of that. That's strange from what we believe about you, Jesus. And of course, we know from hindsight that Jesus again is talking about the Spirit. He's revealing himself by his Spirit. And the world actually can't see him or know him, right? Jesus has already said that. The world can't see him or know him. Jesus responds to Judas's question by saying this, If anyone loves me, 
he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling place with him. It's the same word we saw last week, dwelling place, that Jesus goes to the Father because there is a place with many, there is a, a, a house with many dwelling places is what it says. Again, spirit language. In what way are the Father and the Son of making their abode in us, their dwelling place in us? Through the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So it's actually the coming of the Spirit is the way that Jesus is going to reveal himself to us and not to the world. He reveals himself to us by coming in the person of the Spirit to dwell in us. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And remember, the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus makes another exclusive claim. He says, guess what? There's no way to the Father except through me. If you reject my word, if you do not obey my words, if you do not keep my words, if you do not love me, you don't love the Father. There's no other way. And that is a harrowing reality for the Jews, isn't it? Who think in this day and age, they think, and even today, most of them, right? that there is a way to love the Father without Jesus and somehow be in God's grace. Jesus said it's impossible. If you don't love me, you don't love the Father. If you don't hear my words, you don't hear the Father's words. There is no other path. All paths do not lead to God. They do in the sense we'll all stand before Him, but not in equal footing. That's a scary place to be. Jesus says this in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. Jesus says, all the stuff I have told you while I'm here, while I'm still here, I've been telling you all these things. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. This is important. The Holy Spirit is sent in Jesus' name. And what, what does that mean? Well, he's sent like Jesus. Who did Jesus, what name did Jesus come in? His Father's name. He came as an emissary of the Father. He, he came as a representative of the Father. The Spirit does the same. He comes as a representative of Jesus, as an emissary of Jesus. The Spirit and Jesus are never at odds. Which... Sometimes for my Pentecostal brethren, they get in those places where somehow the, the Spirit is saying something that does not align up with what the Scriptures say. I've seen it happen. The Spirit does not disassociate Himself from Jesus, ever. And here's the beauty of what He says, what Jesus says here. The beauty of what Jesus says here is that He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Everything that is going on with the Spirit is both bringing to remembrance, it's never disassociated from Jesus, and yet it's, it can be new. New in new eras. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and that's a corrective, I think, for everyone. 
is not like, hey, the Spirit's done. The Spirit wrote the Bible. That's all we need. There's nothing else we need from Him anymore. He's gone away. We don't really need Him. Right? He brought to remembrance all that Jesus said. That's all we really needed Him for. He wrote the book. No, because He teaches us all things. And all of the things of Jesus are applying to us in ever new situations. In our lives, in our uh, history, throughout the days as time goes on and on, the Spirit is still applying new reality to us. Things we haven't even considered. Things that the Scriptures don't even address. We're able to look at the Scriptures and try to find an answer as the Spirit is teaching us new things. And yet, yet, the basis is also bringing to remembrance all that Jesus said. There is no new things that are disassociated from Jesus. There's no new revelation that doesn't come back to this book. That doesn't come back to what the Spirit has already said. The claim that there's new revelation from the Spirit that contradicts the Scripture is to say the Spirit is... Dissociative. He, he, he has a split mind. Because the Spirit wrote this book. So you think he changed his mind? No. No, he's the same. He is the same. Since he wrote this book, the things he says will not deviate from this book. He wrote it. He's the author of it. And in that way, the Spirit who gives the word its authority because he is the author of it, is always teaching us new things, but always drawing us back to Jesus. That's an important lesson, too. Jesus says this, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is offering an inheritance. He's about to leave. And by leave, he means die, doesn't he? He's about to go to the cross. So he's leaving with them a gift. What is that gift? What is the gift that Jesus gives as an inheritance to his disciples? It is peace. His peace. And he says, and I'm not giving it to you like the world. I'm not giving it expecting something in return. I'm not giving it with conditions. I leave you with shalom, is the Hebrew word. With peace. Peace, the way the world was meant to be. And that peace, again, is particularly encapsulated in giving the Spirit, who gives us the very character, the very fruit of who Jesus is, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Jesus leaves His peace with us. And He tells them, Don't be troubled, nor be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. Here you go, Mom. Here's your warning. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Jesus says, you're in your own grief, you're in your own pain, but if you could really see the situation, you would rejoice for me, because I get to go back to my Father. Mm 
I get to go back where my glory is like His glory. The Father, who is greater than Jesus, Jesus' incarnate, earthly form, Jesus is, is still human, and He is still human. I mean, He's never lost that. But he, he's very, it's, it's very earthly. This Son of Man is going to become heavenly again. With the glory he had with his Father before the world began, is what it said. And he says, I'm going back to my Father, the one who dwells in heaven in unapproachable light, the perfectness of God. If you love me, you'd rejoice for me, because I get to go be with him. I get to have the glory I had with my Father. And Jesus says, now I told you this before it happens. So that when it happens, you can believe. Believe what? Well, believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Because he's telling these things in advance so that when they look back, they will remember Jesus said it was so. And they can say he is the Messiah. He is the one we thought he was. And we didn't understand, but now we do. Verse 30, I have just two verses left. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up. Let us go from here. Jesus says Satan is fast approaching. The ruler of this world. And who is the ruler of this world? It is Satan. He rules this world. It is his kingdom. In fact, the kingdom of God is the one intruding upon it. And, and receiving plunder is, is how it's talked about in other books of the New Testament. That we're plundering his kingdom. Satan, the ruler of this world, is coming because, what, he believes he's about to defeat Jesus. He believes his plan is about to be enacted. Jesus dying on a cross. To the world, of course it looks like Satan won. What's Jesus say there? The ruler of the world is coming, but he has nothing in me. What does that mean? It means he has no claim on me. He cannot force me to do this. He has he cannot even begin to approach the authority required to make me do this. Jesus says that Satan is coming to do his work, but he cannot make me do it. Why am I doing it? Because I'm showing the world that I love my Father. That's why Jesus is doing it. Isn't that beautiful? The basis of our salvation, the basis of our faith, the basis of everything that has happened in redemption is based on the fact that Jesus loves his Father. Their relationship before ours with him is of utmost importance. It's the basis of it all. He says, I am the one who is going to the cross. Satan is not making me. I choose to go because I love my Father. And the way I will show the world I love my Father is by doing exactly what He commands. 
And what exactly what he commands is for me to go to this cross. I love him so much. I love him so audaciously that I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to the cross in complete shame. Go to the cross in complete guilt is what it looks like. And it looks like I'm getting the worst thing someone can get. Uh, just like Deuteronomy says, anyone who hangs upon a tree is cursed by God. To all appearances, it looks like he's been cursed, forsaken, shamed, that God has abandoned him, that he is a false messiah. That's what it looks like. Jesus says, no, I do this because I love my Father, and I'm going to do what he told me to do. Get up, let's do it. That's what he says. He has more to say, but he says here at the end of 14, get up, let us go. He's ready. His heart is willing. Get up, let us go from here. Jesus, like I said, he looks like everything about this situation is defeat. But it actually is in that shame. It is in that despair. It is in that seemingly hopelessness. It is in that curse. It is in that guilt. That is actually Jesus' glorification. That's what John tells us. Throughout the gospel, he has said, the hour of my glorification is coming. And the hour of his glorification is the hour of his cross. His hour is here. He has a few more things to say before he goes to be glorified. And the world will misunderstand. The world will think this man is getting what he deserves. But those of us who believe, those of us who know the Spirit, those of us who the Spirit has indwelt, who the Spirit has taught and brought to remembrance all the things Jesus said, we know better. The Spirit taught us what Jesus actually did, that in His death He brought salvation, paying a price we could never pay, to bring us back into relationship with His Father, who loved Him and, ironically, in some crazy way we could never possibly begin to fathom, loves us, His enemies, those who were His enemies He loved and sent His Son to die for. Let me bless you tonight as we close. Lord, thank you. Thank you for each person in this room. Lord, I pray you would bless them. Thank you that you have blessed them with the Spirit. If they believe, your Spirit dwells in them. And you are teaching them. The Spirit, the great teacher. We are thankful, God, that you teach us. That you help us remember who Jesus is. You help us to remember to live like him. To think like him. To act like him. Lord, I pray each person this week would again have a revelation of Jesus. Would your spirit be at work to reveal him? Jesus, you say you will disclose yourself to us. You will reveal yourself to us. Would you do it again? Seeing you is what makes life worthwhile. So I pray you would do that for us, Lord. I pray you would do that. And just as you said, the way we love one another is our sign to the world. 
of who you were, we know that what you did is your sign to the world that you love your Father. And we're grateful that you love your Father so much that you made this way for us to Him. Would we all find our way there in ever greater depth by your Spirit and in your precious name. Thank you for each person here, Lord. I'm just grateful to be able to preach your word to them. Would you help it sink deep in their hearts? Would they be conformed to your image, Jesus? All these things I pray in your mighty name and by your Spirit's power. Amen. Thank you, guys. We have, we're going to do communion tonight, I think. So we'll do, we'll do that.